0: Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. Today's podcast episode is breaking down the Jets' insane 20-14 victory over the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles came into this game the last undefeated team in the league, 5-0. The Jets had never beat them in franchise history. We were 0-12 against that team. And the Jets leave with a renewed sense of optimism. As we get to 3-3 on the season going into the bye, back in the playoff mix, absolutely, stealing a game against a really good team. And in this game, the offense didn't look incredible. We got a lot more field goals than touchdowns, only ended with 20 points. But the Eagles... I mean, they what realistically got seven points. They were gifted a, a touchdown in the first quarter that they definitely didn't get. But they finished with 14. The Jets stifled Jalen Hurts, DeAndre Swift, and that Eagles offense. They do enough to just stay in the game and give themselves a chance hanging around to make a couple big plays on defense at the end, get them into the end zone, win the game. It was insane. It was one of the most fun Jets games that I can remember because it had that feeling the whole way where it was like, Man, the Jets are just getting field goals, right? It was 14-3, to 14-6, 14-9, 14-12. And it's like, we're chipping away, but the Eagles aren't doing anything. And if the Jets continue to chip away and the game stays like this, like you better watch out, Eagles, because the Jets could do something crazy and win this thing. One of those games where a punt return touchdown against the Bills just wins the thing. And this was that week. Tony Adams comes up with that big interception. Brees Hall runs it in, and the defense shuts him down from there. It was incredible. I can't wait to talk about this one. This week's agenda is going to be basically recapping that win over Philly. We're going to talk a little bit about the coaching. We're going to talk about Zach Wilson. Going to break down the offense, defense, and special teams, including out giving out our stars of the game for each phase. And then we got a father time. I'm going to throw a what's on tap in this one. And we're going to check in with the AFC just what to look at for the bye because I'm not going to do a podcast episode on Thursday, coming out Thursday morning. The Jets don't have a game this week, so we're not going to do a preview episode. I'm going to come back on the 26th. That's a Thursday in a week from this Thursday. And I'm going to preview the Giants then. So I just want to kind of leave us with some AFC games to look at for this week while the Jets are on by. If you're still watching NFL football, maybe some teams to root for in this one. But that's about it. We're going to have a lot of fun. I already am. This has been a great two days since the Jets' victory. A two-game winning streak now, beating the Broncos. Now the Eagles, 3-3. and If we had said this, before the season began, with or without Aaron Rodgers, the Jets would be 3-3 and after taking on the teams they faced early in the season. We would be very, very happy with that. Even if it was Rodgers, it still is a new offense for the team. There still are a lot of changes and new people coming in, and the schedule is really hard, and we're finding a way to get it done. So very excited at what this means for the rest of our season, that we get to stay alive for a little bit longer. 2-4 and four would have sucked. 3-3 three and three rocks. Fun going into the bye here. Before I get into everything, I need to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. It is part of the Fans First Sports Network. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Jets underscore Dan. All right, so the Jets win 20-14. to 14, And it wasn't pretty. It's exactly what I said before, right? It was 14-3, to 3, and we're chipping away with field goals. We couldn't punch the ball into the end zone, but we continued to make big plays, force punts, and generate turnovers. The Jets... Biggest issue on defense last year was that they couldn't get turnovers, and they were forcing fumbles, and they were getting their hands on the ball, but it just wasn't going their way. They weren't coming down to them. Other than that, the defense was, like, phenomenal last year. This year, it may not be as clean, but there's so much more juice and fire around this team because we are forcing turnovers. We're making huge highlight plays all the time. We've got a pass rush that comes at you from so many different angles. There's not one guy that's going to get 15 sacks in this team, but there's, like, seven guys that are going to get five. And it's really, really hard to game plan against. we got guys in the back end. we got guys in the middle. Our linebackers are insane right now. And we are creating havoc all over the field for opposing teams. Robert Sala has done a fantastic coaching job with this team to keep us alive at this point in the season. There were a lot of people that were ready to cash in when Aaron Rodgers went down, and it was like, all right, this is the season from hell. And I was obviously disappointed because, like, we're never going to get that season that we thought we were going to have when Rodgers went down. But some people completely wrote the team off. Then we have issues against a team like the Patriots and the Cowboys, and we're struggling. We're 1-2. and And I get it. It's a tough place to be. We go to 1-3 and after losing to the Chiefs, and people are thinking, like, you know, is this coaching staff going to be changed? Is Joe Douglas on his way out? Did he have one good draft class? And that's about it. Zach Wilson obviously can't be the quarterback anymore. I was guilty of, you know, looking at that Simeon option as maybe an improvement over Wilson. But we've seen Zach Wilson improve. We've seen everything that Robert Sala has said this whole time about, like, Zach Wilson has it in practice. We can see stuff. You just aren't seeing it in the games, and he's going to get there, and Aaron Rodgers coming in is going to help him. And at first it seemed a little crazy, like, man, we've seen this before. We watched it last year, but it's different this year. And he's staying true to his word, and he's doing exactly what he's saying he's doing. We've got a great culture. We've got a great team of people. He's built this team up. He's got guys that are on the back end of the roster, practice squad guys coming in, playing really well. Everybody thinking that this team has a chance to win on Monday Night Football or Sunday Night Football against the Chiefs, against the Bills, against the Eagles. They're not laying eggs. And I think the big test is going to be when you play a really bad team. Because it's one thing, as we know as Jets fans, like to play one of these good teams like the Eagles, Chiefs, and Bills really well. Jets playing up to really good competition. But then a lot of times in Jets history, like we've played a bad team and played down to the competition. And really struggled. We've got easier games coming up in the Giants than the Raiders. And those are going to be two really good litmus tests to see. Are the Jets actually a really good team? Because good teams play those teams, and usually they handle business. They also compete with the good teams. If the Jets can do that and they can come out against a lesser opponent coming out of the bye and everything, which historically they're not great of either, I think we're really going to see the fruits of our labor and this team start to make that push. That's what they need to do right there. They need to stay consistent. They need to stay on top of it. If they can beat the Eagles, they can't get ahead of themselves. They got to beat the Giants. It should be easier, but sometimes those trap games—ask the Eagles playing the Jets—it can be harder than it looks. But I'm super pleased with Robert Sala. At no point did I want him fired. At no point, regardless of what I see this year, do I want him fired because, unless he does something outrageous, to me he's got the passion, the leadership. He brings people in here. He coaches well. He inspires people. He makes the young guys feel empowered. He makes everybody on the field feel empowered. So all that stuff is exactly what I want from a head coach. The results, yeah, they may be ugly because we have a backup quarterback, backup offensive lineman. All sorts of things are going to happen throughout the course of the season. You know, we want to knock on wood here, but there's going to be more bad injuries for the Jets, and we're going to have to work through that. But Robert Sala, from what we've seen from his coaching and his ability and the way that he hires coordinators, Jeff Jeff Ulbrich, who's done a really good job, Some other defensive coordinator or defensive position coaches the Jets have that are successful. I like Nathaniel Hackett and the signing there. They were able, just a lot of stuff across the board. Salah's not going anywhere. Joe Douglas isn't going anywhere. This New York Jets team is right on the cusp. And whether or not Zach Wilson can take us there, that's the question. Jeff Ulbrich, I mentioned him. He's doing really great right now. The fact that we were able to take out DJ Reed, Sauce Gardner, and Brandon Eccles for this game and roll out. Michael Carter in the slot, played a little outside, great flexibility there. But then rolling out, like, Tay Hayes and Craig James and Bryce Hall, who, you know, we were afraid to play two weeks ago, and now all of a sudden it's like, you know what, they can roll anybody out there. This defense has absolute firepower, top to bottom. We're not going to have those injuries. In a week or two, when the Jets are playing again, we're going to have Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed back. But the fact that we know that we can go up against a team like the Eagles and a quarterback like Jalen Hurts, who's dynamic and can do all sorts of different things, receivers like A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, tight end like Dallas Goddard, like across the board, a good offense, and we can roll out those guys and do this to them, that makes you feel pretty good because even if there are more bumps and bruises down the road, we already have a history of proving that we can overcome it. So great job by Ulbrich. Great job by Tony Oden, the whole defensive staff, awesome. I think the one thing that you look at as a negative for the for the team's coaching is on the offensive side of the ball. I think it comes down to the gold zone, you know, the red zone, that the Jets really have to punch it in. They have to get seven points instead of three. This is multiple weeks in a row that we're leaving with three points way too often. We've got to find a way to get touchdowns in there. And then two, third down percentage. It's also been an issue for the Jets. Two for 11, this game is way too low. They were able to win, thank goodness, but two for 11 a lot of weeks is not going to win it. Brant Boyer, shout-out to him as well in coaching because he's doing a great job cultivating way more young talent. And it's like this nonstop cycle of just youth and veterans within that special teams of Brant Boyer. And you see some of these young guys coming up now, like an Irvin Charles and a Xavier Gibson, and it's like, man, this guy's not going to be leaving the Jets team for a long time, I don't think. He could be a new Mike Westoff coaching special teams for the Jets for 20 years. And that's an awesome thing to have. So I'm really pleased with the coaching of the New York Jets so far this year. we got a lot more season to go. Things change, but it shouldn't be so knee-jerk reaction. I love the coaching staff coming into the season. I had my questions about Nathaniel Hackett, but I thought that overall he was a good offensive coordinator in the past. He'd pair well with Rodgers. The whole thing, the movement of the offense and what they were trying made sense. Robert Sala, if the Jets lose the next three games, I'm still not going to be banging my head against the wall asking for him to get fired. I'm going to be saying, you know what, this is really unlucky. We've proven that we can win, we just have to get there. And maybe it is the quarterback, maybe it's something else, maybe it's another injury that we haven't seen yet. But Robert Sala, I am comfortable, I'm comfortable giving him an extension. Let's keep this guy as our coach. He's my favorite coach we've ever had. I've said that before on this podcast. I just can't support him enough. So now, I want to talk about the offense-defense special team, Zach Wilson and that stuff. But before I do that, I do want to do a quick Father Time, because we didn't get one last week, and I wanted to see what my dad had to say after this big old Jets win against the Eagles, going to 3-3. Three and three. So this is this week's Father Time, written by my dad, David Burnham. Here we go. It has no title, by the way. This is a, a mystery Father Time. The AFC East champion Bills stepped into a trap game and lost to our Jets, and so did the NFC champion Eagles and the Super Bowl-winning Kansas City Chiefs narrowly escaped. Did the Jets' defense really embarrass the imposing quarterbacks so far this season? No. Yes, they were stunned, but they weren't embarrassed. Robert Sala walked back on the statement that was born from a victorious dogfight with Philadelphia. I'm not really a big fan of ratings and PFFs, but here's a quick visit to ESPN to tell me. Josh Allen's passer rating versus the Jets was a 62.7, and 102.8 is his season to average. Patrick Mahomes was 63.6, while averaging 95.7 on the year. And Jalen Hurts was 59.5, and averaging an 84.7 quarterback rating. Embarrassed? No. But we saw the looks on those quarterbacks' faces. Priceless. Some of the most entertaining wins in years. With the hardest first six-game schedule in the NFL, I was hoping the Jets would be 3-3, going into the bye with Aaron Rodgers. And here we are with Zach, who's playing competitive football and looks to be getting better. That gauntlet is behind us, and currently there's a logjam at the top of the AFC. Right now, only 4 of 16 AFC teams are below 500, so every game is important, and it looks like 10 wins is going to be necessary to get into the playoffs. There's so much growth happening with the Jets they seem to be getting better and better, while the schedule is starting to get a little easier. The Jets team is 3-3 three and three and in a great spot. Go Jets. End scene. Whoa, so in this one, my dad chooses to react to the Robert Salah comments. Of course, the Jets have been embarrassing quarterbacks to play this year. And talking about how he believes at 500, at this point in the season, six games in, going into the bye with Zach Wilson, we have to feel really good. And that part, I 1,000% agree with. We have to feel really good about where we are. And the schedule upcoming is a lot easier. We got to take care of business. But at least we feel like we've got a chance to do something this year. And at least we're in the mix right now, six weeks in. It's not like a there's already teams in the league They'll look around, you look at the Broncos, you look at the Giants, maybe even the Patriots, and it's like, all right, this season is not what we thought it was going to be. This is basically over. The Jets aren't in that boat. Every week, a couple more teams kind of fall by the wayside and think their season's done, I think their season's done, and the Jets keep hanging on, staying in that mix. So I love all that that he said. The one thing that I want to disagree with on this is that the Jets are embarrassing opposing quarterbacks, in my opinion. Dak Prescott had a great game against us. Mac Jones was able to sneak out a win. I think that on Sunday Night Football, with Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey and all the storylines and stuff, and Patrick Mahomes is one of the greatest players in all of football and everything, and come see him. If you've never watched football and you're a Taylor Swift fan, you get to see Patrick Mahomes. Zach Wilson looked better than him. There's a lot of people that maybe haven't watched a lot of football before that were tuned in for that primetime game, or maybe haven't seen much of the Jets this year, much of the Chiefs, and they left that thing saying, Zach Wilson played a better game than Patrick Mahomes. To me, that's embarrassing for a guy like Patrick Mahomes. When you talk about week one, when the Jets beat the Bills and Josh Allen had massive trouble against the Jets, I remember vividly storylines around the NFL saying that Josh Allen maybe wouldn't be the answer in Buffalo. Is he too turnover prone? Does he try to play too much hero ball? Will he ever get it? Is he too, for lack of a better word, is he too stupid to play quarterback in the NFL at a high level in big games? And they were saying that. After playing the Jets, of course, now you look at him, he's got the third-highest quarterback rating in the league. He's looking for an MVP-type season. And that's everything after playing the New York Jets. So to me, yeah, they embarrassed him as well. And then you got Jalen Hurts, who played against the Jets, puts up a 59 quarterback rating. The undefeated team playing the New York Jets? Man, they should be able to do something better than that, right? They had all their weapons there except for Lane Johnson for a spell. Their entire offense is playing in this game. A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, Goddard, Swift... You name it. They're backups. Kenny Gainwell, Zacchaeus, Boston Scott. Like, they're healthy. They're all line. Other than Lane Johnson, this one, healthy. Jalen Hurts, he's there. So, what was the big issue? We're missing half of our defense, it seems like. The secondary, specifically. I mean, we're playing guys I've never even heard of. Tay Hayes, he's been on the practice squad for three weeks. This Jets team should be getting beat when you look at it on paper, but they're not because the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And there's a lot of guys that maybe haven't gotten their flowers yet that will very, very soon. I think Tony Adams took a big step forward this week. Quincy Williams this year has been taking a huge step forward. we got a lot of guys, Jermaine Johnson, Bryce Huff, who are really making a name for themselves, not only within the Jets team, but within the NFL. And as the Jets continue to play these primetime games, because we were built a schedule for Aaron Rodgers, for the world to see Aaron Rodgers playing perhaps his last season, in New York with the Jets, we got all these primetime games. Six primetime games. We're getting Tony Romo and Greg Olson and all the best announcers you can get. The four o'clock head headline spots, game of the week. The Jets are going to be a major spectacle for the remainder of the season. And what we've done so far, playing these good teams, is we've we've embarrassed some quarterbacks. And people are going to see this team more than they've ever seen them in the last ten years, really. And this is the team. If I could pick one for fans to tune into or fans of other teams to see the Jets play. Right now, I'm proud it's this team. So, that was a great father time, Dad. I appreciate it. I think that uh, we both agree that 3-3 three and three right now, going into the bye, week 7 coming up, yeah, we feel good. So, now we are going to go over to the offense, defense, and special teams, but before I do that, I do have to take a quick commercial break. righty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Live. The next order of business is to talk about how the Jets' offense performed in the 20-14 victory over the Philadelphia Eagles. So the good and the bad. The good is the Jets win the turnover differential here. Plus four. Jalen Hurts throws three picks. DeAndre Swift fumbles the football. The Jets, no fumbles in this game. Zach Wilson throws no interceptions. No, Zach Wilson wasn't the most efficient version of himself, right? He was only 19 for 33 for 186 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. So that wasn't great, but the end of the day, the most important thing for this team was not turning the ball over because we were getting three points, three points, three points, and the Eagles weren't doing anything. They had seven scoreless drives in a row, and if at any point the Jets had fumbled the ball or given them a free, easy field goal or something, the entire game could have been different. But they were clean with the football, the Eagles weren't, and it helped them win. The bad side of it is, I mentioned it already, they got to learn to punch it into the end zone. they got to get a better red zone offense, they have to stop taking sacks in the red zone. One of those ones when Hassan Redick sacked Zach Wilson coming out of a rollout, I don't put that on Zach because there was no check down there, and basically by the time he comes out of his spin, there's a defensive end right in his face. He's going down. You don't want to force that ball. There's no time to look for somebody else to throw it to. Just take the sack, get the field goal. That's what they did there. But we need to see a little bit more consistency in the red zone. We tried to do a couple jump balls to Garrett Wilson, which I love but James Bradbury played good defense against it. I think we've seen Zach Wilson make a couple nice quarterback scrambles to score, and for example, like what we saw on the Randall Cobb two-point conversion dart throw right across the middle just hitting that guy, that's what we need to see more of. The dart you threw to Alan Lazard, right? The jump ball he gave to Garrett Wilson, opportunities for these receivers to make plays, and getting them to him quick. If Zach Wilson has time in the pocket, typically does pretty well, but the penalties and the sacks that we're taking in the red zone, it's killing us. we got to get that together. When you talk about Zach Wilson overall, though, he got the job done. I'm very pleased with the way that he has continued to evolve his movement within the pocket. He used to get flushed out, and sometimes he still does, but he used to get rattled and look frantic and panic and like, what the hell is he doing? And he'd, you know, pull your hair out watching him. But this year he's been moving up in the pocket more and more, I think the best example of that was on a, I want to say it was like second and 10, and Zach Wilson moves up in the pocket, can't find anybody, and he sees a lane between the center and guard running through the one hole, which is not something that Zach Wilson typically has done in his career. Typically, when he can't find anybody downfield, he starts to just back up more and more and eventually roll out to his right, either take a sack, throw it away, or throw an INT. But this time he stands firm in the pocket, and by being there with the good blocking in front of him, he was able to find a hole right there, rush up field, dive, try to pick up that first down, nice clean dive to get it. That's the type of stuff that you want to see from Zach Wilson. It's a level of confidence that's growing in him, comfortability within the pocket, and it says a lot about his development so far this season. We also saw a really nice like sidearm pitch to Brees Hall, which in the past, if that was intercepted, we'd say, what a bonehead play. We've seen Sam Darnold try to do stuff like that, Zach Wilson. When it doesn't work, it looks stupid. But when it does work and you pick up a first down like that play, and you get it to Brees Hall when you're in trouble, just getting creative. If you can do that stuff consistently and start to make it a habit of being successful within those plays, you start to gain that confidence, and it's just starting to kind of snowball for him into positivity. Again, he's got to stop taking sacks. It's one of the most important things. He's got to be more efficient on third downs. He's got to find a way to pick up third downs. Obviously, we had a lot of long third down opportunities. We didn't have a great rushing yards per carry in this game, so not a lot of efficiency Not ahead of the sticks very many times. And a bunch of penalties for the Jets. Nine in this one. It was ugly having that many penalties. So difficult third down opportunities for us in the swirling winds MetLife Stadium. But at the end of the day, maybe you're not going to pick up third down every single time. But don't fumble the ball. Don't throw the ball away. Big turnovers or anything like that. Give your team a chance to win. And rely on Thomas Morstead to give a great punt. Rely on that defense to play great defense because they have been. So awesome game from Zach Wilson, feeling really good about his development overall. At one point, he was a useless, can't even play him in the NFL-type quarterback. Now he's a viable backup option, one of those guys that can come in in spot duty and potentially win a game, which we didn't really feel that confident in that before. And I'm not saying that that's where he's going to end. I'm saying that's kind of where I feel he is right now, kind of like a Gardner Minshew can have a great game. He's also capable of a dud game. Taylor Heineke can have a good game, can also have a dud game. That's kind of what Zach Wilson is today. But the difference between those guys and Zach is Zach is right now actively improving at a, pretty, at a pretty rapid pace. And the question is, does it stop here, or does it continue? For all we know, it continues for the next three, four years. He gets better and better every single year, and he's a great Pro Bowl quarterback helping the Jets win playoff games. It's also possible that what we've seen right now is like the ceiling, and he's never going to get better than this. We don't know, but he is progressing. Signs are moving in the right direction. He's got Aaron Rodgers in the corner, a coaching staff that believes in him, a team that seems to believe in him more and more, a decent record behind him in 3-3, three and three, a bye week to prepare, and some easier games upcoming. I feel great about where he's at. You look at the receivers in this game, offensive player of the game is going to go to Garrett Wilson because he comes down with eight receptions for 90 yards when the offense overall wasn't moving the ball that much. Felt like Garrett Wilson was the one guy that was consistently making ridiculous highlight catches, jumping four feet in the air to catch a football. He almost had a really nice play, but Alan Lazard unfortunately had a block that took it away. But eight receptions for 90 yards in a a total of you know 180 passing yard game for Zach Wilson. That's half the offense basically in the passing game at least. Garrett Wilson, he is that guy. He is the best receiver we've had in my entire lifetime. I'm so glad we have him. He was banged up in this game a few times, but he came back onto the field making sure that he could get this game one for the Jets and glad he's on our side. Lazard, he had a drop in this game. I mentioned that block. It's a bummer. Not a great game for him, but I overall, you know, Lazard's a worse Corey Davis, but he's a solid wide receiver. You don't hate having him out there, but he's not a huge weapon for the Jets. He's just like solid at blocking, can catch the ball. Pretty big. We like the guy. He's been healthy. Randall Cobb got the two point conversion. He's been quiet all year, but that was a nice play for him. Nicole Hardman got on the field a couple times, a couple targets, specifically when Garrett Wilson went out. Check on his ankle, but Mecole didn't get a catch. Gibson, no targets, but one rush for 18 yards. Tyler Conklin, he's been one of our best offensive-receiving weapons this year. Three catches for 24 yards, which, believe it or not, was the third most on the team. It was Garrett Wilson, then Brees Hall, then Tyler Conklin at 24 yards. But he laid the lumber when he did get that, that uh, big catch. He gets a first down, puts his shoulder into an eagle. You'll love to see it. Ruckert had a nice snag and run for one catch in this game. Not a great passing game, but overall, they got the job done and they made some big plays in key moments. When you look at the running game, the Jets put up 89 total rushing yards. 15 of those go to Zach Wilson on four carries. We had 4.2 yards per carry and 89 rushing yards against the best rush defense in the league. The Eagles had been been giving up 62 yards per game in their first five weeks, and the Jets put up 89. 4.2 yards, it's not horrible. Brees Hall did have opportunities to have, like, huge gainers. You can always see he's, like one juke or dodge or slip tackle away from a massive play. And he doesn't always get them, but they are coming, and you can see it. And it's amazing that, like, he gets three, four opportunities a game where it's like, man, that was almost broken for, like, a 50, 60, 70-yard play. And a couple of those in this game kept him from getting in the end zone early in the game, but you know what? We know what's coming. And at the end of the game, he pushes the ball into the end zone when the Jets needed a touchdown. They hadn't had a lead all game long and with under two minutes to play, Brees Hall, whether you say they wanted to give him that touchdown or not, Brees Hall gets the ball into the end zone, wins the game for the Jets essentially, because those are the points we needed to take the lead. We never gave it back. And while we're on the subject, I am 1,000% and was in the moment for getting the points. Get the touchdown, be up by as many points as you can, make them need to get a touchdown, and rely on the defense that's played so well. If they ended up missing a field goal from the five-yard line, or threw an interception trying to do something, getting too cute with it, or fumbled, whatever could have happened there, we would have all said, why wouldn't you just score the points and rely on your defense who hasn't given up a point in the last seven drives? And that's how I felt in the moment. That's how I feel now. That was great coaching from Robert Sala. Love that he trusted in his defense and then took the points. Go up. Yeah, take the lead. That's amazing. Now it's on them. So, happy to see that. Dalvin Cook, Still solid to me. I think everybody hates him because he's not like breaking 70-yard gainers, but it's all these really, really good defenses and games where running the ball is is really tough with this offensive line that we've got. And Brees Hall, yes, has great numbers, but there's a lot of big broken tackle runs for high yardage plays that are helping him with his like efficiency there. Put him in the red zone, put him on the five-yard line. Brees Hall's not super, super successful right now, right? That's not his style. He's good at breaking the big ones. Dalvin Cook maybe doesn't break them anymore. But I think he's reliable enough, and I trust him running the football more than I did James Robinson last year, or more than I do Michael Carter consistently. So Dalvin Cook, three carries for 12 yards in this game. Nice eight-yard first down. He's not getting a ton of opportunities, but he's not completely shot. The guy's not useless, and he's not an idiot on the field. And I'm not sure if Izzy Abinaconda is or not, but everyone's calling for Izzy to start getting some playing time. This team is rolling right now and playing at a really high level with a lot of veterans. Why in the world would you want to put in a rookie who's never played, whose biggest fault from the coach's perspective during the training camps was that he was inconsistent? You want a guy missing blocks or fumbling the football or being inefficient within a game? Or would you rather have Dalvin Cook just you know, pick up three rushes for 12 yards? The Jets, yes, some weeks they need to get some manufactured offense. They need to find a way to get the ball down the field. But when they're playing games like this and they're this close and winning them, 20-14, to 14? no, you can't risk a rookie going out there and making a huge mistake. Michael Carter had a massive block in this game on a blitz pickup, set his feet, head pushed back but holding his ground. Izzy probably doesn't do that and probably gets Zach Wilson roasted and probably it ends up being an interception or a fumble, and that all completely goes down to him because we have this idea that maybe he could bust a nice 24-yard run. Not worth it. I'm sorry, You got to play the veterans right now. Once Izzy can prove that he can consistently block, catch, run his routes, get open, knows the nuances of the offense, then, yes, he can be used. Or if we're really, really struggling, and it's like we can't manufacture any sort of offense, and this thing is an absolute dumpster fire on offense, yeah, maybe you try to plug him in just to see if you can get something going. But right now, the team is operating too well to make a change like that to me. Michael Carter did drop an easy ball, so that doesn't bode well for him. (laughs) But he still did have the nice block, and you still at least can trust him well enough to know the offense and not to screw up too horribly. When you look at the offensive line, the big negative thing in this game, Joe Tittman, a thigh injury. We don't know how long he's going to be out. We do have the bye week to help recover, so like 14 days for him. But thigh injuries, it could be a decent amount of time. He could miss multiple games. And luckily, we've got a really good backup in West Schweitzer. We paid a guy like him to replace Dan Feeney to be a decent guard and center option. So Wes Schweitzer, I think, is absolutely serviceable. And before the year even began, probably was... Slay to the head of Tittman on the depth chart. Tittman just, you know, blew minds right away and was like, all right, we got to get this guy in the field. We got to find a way. We'll put AVT at tackle just to get Tittman on the field. So I think we're going to be in okay hands with Quest Schweitzer, but it's a real bummer to lose a guy like Tittman who's young and ascending as fast as he can. One of our best offensive linemen on the team. Makai Becton may be the best offensive lineman on the team. He does still let guys get through, he does still get penalties and stuff, but he is capable of embarrassing pass rushers and pushing them down. And if you look at Baldy's highlights, Makai Beckton was in his bag just pushing guys over. A couple guys beat him. Keep in mind, the Eagles have one of the best pass rushes in the league. They almost broke the sack record last year, if not breaking it. If I remember correctly, it was over 50-something sacks, maybe over 60. It was a ridiculous number. And Hassan Reddick and Josh Sweat and, you know, that that group of guys coming after Zach Wilson play after play with a Makai Beckton playing left tackle, and Max Mitchell playing right tackle, and Joe Tittman going out, yeah, Zach Wilson gets sacked five times. But overall, it's not that bad a performance. Max Mitchell was quiet enough, which is what you wanted to see from him at right tackle. You feel like he can do a serviceable job, and he still does deserve, I guess, pole position at that right tackle position ahead of like a Billy Turner or something until we see him really have a bad game. Didn't see it in this one. There were a couple bad plays that I didn't like from him, but not a bad game. And I want to give a shout-out to Lakin Tomlinson, who had a really bad last year and started to look really, really sloppy in fundamentals and, and knowing where he was on the field in our offensive line. But this year, he looks a lot better, a lot more comfortable. Connor McGovern's also playing solid football. So that is our offensive side of the ball. We're going to do defense, special teams, and a quick AFC check-in, but I guess now is as good a time as any to do a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little what's on tap. That is right, folks. This is what's on tap. And the Jets beat the Eagles, which is rare. 20-14, to beating the only remaining undefeated team in the entire NFL, a team that we had never beaten in our entire franchise history. We're 0-12 going into this game. Nice to get that completely off the uh the resume, if that's what you want to call it. So it was really rare to beat the Eagles in this sort of setting. So what am I drinking today? I'm drinking a little Eagle Rare. It is a 10-year aged what is it single barrel select bourbon. I got this at MR, so it's kind of part of their uh select batch series, but Eagle Rare is a really nice bourbon that I drink. It's similar to like a Buffalo Trace or something. It's a Kentucky straight It's got like some oaky, woody flavors to it, a little bit of caramel, nice rattle, not too sweet, which is kind of what I look for, not too boozy either, not a huge fan of like the the really good, you know, 56% alcohol whiskeys, because they taste good, and you're like, man, I can't believe it's that high in ABV, and it tastes so smooth, but like, you drink a three-finger pour of it, and you're all of a sudden like, I don't remember drinking this much, but... I'm feeling a little bit more than I was anticipating. This Eagle Rare, 45%, right in that wheelhouse that I like to have. This is a smooth, good-priced bottle of good bourbon, and it fit the name perfectly. I have Eagle Rare on my cart. Like, Yeah, they beat the Eagles. Of course I'm going to drink a little Eagle Rare, celebrate on this sort of chilly Connecticut day. So that is this week's What's on Tap. Now before we go to the defense, special teams, and AFC... A quick commercial break. Alrighty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Live. Looking at the defensive side of the ball, against the Eagles, one of the better offenses you'd think in the league with the weapons that they have, the Jets give up 14 points, and in my opinion, it was really 7 points. Yes, Jake Elliott missed a field goal he almost always makes, which was 3 points off the board for the Eagles, But the refs gave Jalen Hurts a touchdown on a run that there was absolutely no evidence to overturn the call of down on the field, turnover on downs. Somehow they were able to see that his knee or body wasn't down and he crossed the goal line. No clue how that happened, but they gave the Eagles a free seven points. Good for the Eagles, they needed them. Still wasn't enough to beat this New York Jets team. So the defense was dynamic. Seven straight scoreless drives. And the most important possession of them all, was when the Jets score the touchdown with Brees Hall, under two minutes to go, and we say, all right, you've got about a minute 50, two timeouts. you got to go 75 yards down the field to score a touchdown. And the Eagles get the ball, four plays, two yards, game over. Just like that, the New York Jets take care of business against the Eagles. They force turnovers in this game, four total turnovers from a, a plethora of players, all sorts of different things, right? We had a Jermaine Johnson knocking Jalen Hurts' arm as he's Throwing the ball, Bryce Hall comes down with it. We have a tip ball that lands in Quinlan Williams' lap. He comes down with it. First career INT, awesome to see. Tony Adams, playing center fielder like we've been hearing that he can do, jumping around on Dallas Goddard, essentially winning the game for the Jets there. It was an awesome game. And then C.J. Mosley punching out a ball picked up by Quincy Williams because those linebackers are absolutely dynamite. It was awesome to see the Jets' defense perform like this because this is what we know they can do. They are capable of getting higher sack numbers, but just the pressure that they create and the coverages that they come up with, Jeff Ulbricht deserves a lot of credit. When we look at the defense, they played Jalen Hurts. He finished 28 for 45 for 280 yards, one touchdown, three INTs, and as my dad said, a 54 quarterback rating. DeAndre Swift is having probably the best rushing year of his career. Against the Jets, he gets 10 rushes for 18 yards. More active in the receiving game, but 10 rushes for 18 yards, that is, like, bad, bad. A.J. Brown was the real threat for them, 7 catches, 131 yards. But we were able to pretty much limit Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, Olamide Zacchaeus, Kenneth Gainwell, anybody else, with this cast of characters missing Sauce Gardner, Brandon Echols, and D.J. Reed, It was an extremely impressive performance because we are getting those guys back. We're coming back healthier against the Giants than we played in this game. When you look at the defensive line it all starts up there those guys are starting all the havoc that you see and that's what gives those cornerbacks and those safeties an opportunity to make plays on the ball and not have to cover in their zones for as long it makes the quarterback become you know progressively more and more uncomfortable as we saw in Jalen Hurts in this game nobody's doing that better than Bryce Huff Bryce Huff is an absolute monster He's playing more snaps than ever. He used to be like a third-down pass rush specialist, you know, like a clay math. He used to bring him in on third down and get after the quarterback. That's what he was, a role player. But he's gotten so much better against the run and being able to do different things that he's now playing first downs, second downs, getting a high level of snaps, and he's worth it. Now, the Jets are going to have to give him a big contract because his skill and position deserves that, and we only have him for one year this year right now. But we love what we're seeing from him, and he's literally wrecking games. One and a half sacks in this game, getting pressures like crazy. The most dynamic pass rusher that we've seen on the Jets uniform in a very, very long time. And the most impressive thing to me is that he's becoming more and more versatile, not only playing first and second downs now, but the very last play of the game where the Jets have a Jordan Whitehead breakup to seal the deal on fourth down against the Eagles. Bryce Huff actually backs into a spy coverage. He covers the tight end on the quick little flat real fast, make sure that, that guy's not going to catch the ball, and then he just mirrors Jalen Hurst down the field to make sure that he can't scramble. Because at this point in the game, it's not just about picking up a massive gainer, even though that's what the Eagles tried, it was about getting a first down and continuing the game to move downfield. Bryce Huff, instead of going after the quarterback in that big situation, which is what every single person in Philadelphia expected them to do. He goes into a spy-mirror coverage, and he actually has the speed to keep up with a guy like Jalen Hurts and take out those angles. He's really good at that stuff. Jalen Hurts couldn't scramble. He's forced to throw the ball downfield. Whitehead breaks it up, game over. Bryce Huff's evolvement is incredible, and it goes a lot of credit to Jeff Ulbrich, the defensive line coaching. This is what we saw in San Francisco when Sala and Ulbrich were there, and we're seeing it translate to the Jets. All these different types of players just getting better and better at the defensive line, making quarterbacks' lives miserable. And yes, embarrassing them. Jermaine Johnson on the other side, he's all over the place as well. He's not as dynamic a pass rusher, but he's better against the run. He's getting better at pass rushing. He's making his presence felt for the quarterbacks and the running backs every single game. And I think what's most noticeable to me is plays that don't go to or through him, he still finds a way to end up being a part of the tackle or helping to try to be there or make a play, and it's like, you know, it's a run to the right side, and he's on the left, and they go upfield 15 yards, like where the cornerbacks are tackling them out of bounds, and Jermaine Johnson's there. and You're just like, is he playing the entire field right now like a linebacker? He doesn't give up on a play. It's going to pay off for him. He's going to come up with fumbles. He's going to come up with forced fumbles. He's going to be in the right place because he doesn't give up on a play, and you're seeing it game after game. That guy has a motor, and I love it. He's living up to our expectations when we drafted him in the first round. Glad he's on our team. Quinton Williams isn't getting the stats still, but he's making the plays, getting double teamed all the time. And you want to see Quinton Williams' stats showing up? Look no further than the guy right next to him, Quinton Jefferson, who's on pace to have the most sacks of his entire career. Right now he's got three sacks in his age 30 season because he's playing next to Quinton Williams, and Quinton Williams demands a double team all the time. Quinton Jefferson used to be next to a big Al Woods, some other guys in the Seattle Seahawks organization. But when you have Quinn and Williams next to you, getting a double team and still creating so much havoc and pushing the offensive line back and making holes and gaps, it's so much easier on Quinton Jefferson. And so no, Quinnon's not necessarily getting those big numbers, but Jefferson is a huge beneficiary of that. So it's a nice one-two punch right there. Nice to have a combo of a guy that can make the chaos, break up that whole offensive line, and then one guy that can get after the passer in Quentin Jefferson. Quentin's stats will come. He's a good pick in this game, so that's awesome. And then I uh, want to give a shout-out to John Franklin Myers, Al Wood, Solomon Thomas. They all made plays in this game. They all helped keep the running game of the Philadelphia Eagles to 3.6 yards per carry. Everybody played great. You can't give enough credit to this defense for what they did in this game. The linebackers are ridiculous. We have two legitimate All pro-level players playing in the linebacking group right now, C.J. Mosley and Quincy Williams, they're playing out of their minds. They don't miss tackles. They're all over the field. They're even reliable dropping into coverage this year, which is something that you're not really used to seeing from definitely not Quincy Williams, not even that much from C.J. Mosley. But they're doing it really well. C.J.'s diagnosing the offenses, leading the entire defense, looking at the plays. He's the general of the whole team. And then Quincy's pass blitzes? run blitzes and his just overall playing speed is absolutely ridiculous right now. He's making game-changing tackles, closing games out, covering the field, hitting guys hard, getting in the backfield. He's doing everything and Quincy Williams is he's awesome. I just I'm so happy to see him playing this well. We said it last week, it's like week after week we keep saying wow, Quincy could have been the player of the game. He could have been the defensive player of the game this week too. He is so dynamic right now. Looking at the secondary real quick, when you roll out Michael Carter 2, Bryce Hall, Craig James, and Tay Hayes against the Eagles, and A.J. Brown, and Devontae Smith, and Dallas Goddard, when you roll those guys out there, you are nervous as hell thinking to yourself, how are we going to stop them? But those guys showed up. Craig James specifically really stood out to me. Bryce Hall made plays when he had to. Even a couple nice tackles from him. I mean, those guys did so much for this team and made things difficult. They did their roles. They didn't mess anything up, which is what you'd be worried about. A lot of bad penalties or just getting burned. They were clean. They were prepared. They knew what they were doing. They did their assignments and they executed at a high level, making, you know, really nice pass deflections in this game and forcing interceptions. And it just so much credit to the jets defensive coaching scheme, but also those players just coming in, not expecting to play because you've got DJ Reed sauce Gardner and Brandon Nichols out. And there's a good chance that after the bye, when the Jets play the Giants, all three of those players will be back. And we won't be using Craig James and definitely not Tay Hayes. And Bryce Hall will be pushed down to a spot. But the fact that we know that should there be more injuries in the secondary as the year goes on, that we have some people that we can play and they've got a little bit of confidence and some chemistry within the defense and they have you know good film on paper within our unit and what we're scheming, I feel really good about that moving forward. Because there's a lot of a lot of time left. And it's hard to play every single week for all these guys. You know, someone's going to miss some time here and there. Yeah, I was down on Bryce Hall. I absolutely was. I still don't trust him a 1,000%. But I know that he is capable of playing some good football still. We've seen it two weeks in a row. Making big plays. Craig James, another guy you can just fit into the mix. It's good stuff. You want that depth. Jets have done a a really good job of building it. Safeties, Jordan Whitehead... Kind of a quiet game in terms of impact, but Tony Adams, he is our defensive player of the game because he had his first game where he was popping up all over the field throughout. He had the third most tackles on the team with seven. He had a tackle for a loss, and all of a sudden I said to myself, like, I think this is the first time that Tony Adams has really stood out to me within a game, like making plays. Then he makes a few more big tackles, and then a game-winning interception at the end of the game when the Jets absolutely needed to stop the Philadelphia Eagles. A first down would have probably ended the game. Tony Adams gets the big pick, the big return. If he drops that ball, if he fumbles it on the return, there's so many different situations or scenarios that could have happened that didn't go in the Jets' favor where we end up losing this game. But Tony Adams did everything perfectly on that play. That's what we've been hoping for. When you make a game-winning play like that, and you're all over the field throughout the game, yeah, you get defensive player of the game. So credit to Tony Adams I called him out last week saying, this guy doesn't make any impact. What's going on with Tony Adams? Is it just me? Am I crazy? And through five weeks, he hadn't. But right now, I look at Tony Adams, and it's like, I almost feel like he's arrived now. Because everybody else within that Jets defense, for the most part, had had their moments. Their big, you know, welcome to the Jets. Their sauce Gardner big pass breakups. Or DJ Reed breaking up a play at the end of the game. Quinn Williams taking him over. Huff. Jermaine, like all these guys, had had their fingerprints on a game where you could point to them and say, man, this is a big cog in our defense. Thank God we have him. Tony Adams didn't have that. He was just like, oh, we don't know what we're getting from him. This was his big moment. He's officially, to me, a part of this unit now. And it's not just like, oh, we got a really good defense, and then Tony Adams is kind of figuring it out back there. It's like, no, he's part of it. Awesome game. Defensive player of the game, Tony Adams. Very pleased with the defense. You can't say enough about what they did. 14, really 7 points against the Eagles. Come on. Looking at the special teams real quick. Greg the leg, special teams player of the game. He goes 4-for-4 in a windy Met life. Jake Elliott only had one really short try. Missed it. Greg doesn't miss his. We needed all those points. That kept us in the game. He has only missed one kick this entire season, and it was over 50 yards. Greg is proving to us why... We wanted a kicker so long. We were hoping every single year, can we get a good kicker? Oh, my gosh, rolling out these freaking jokes. And finally, we get a good kicker, and it is paying off, and we're literally winning games because of it. Thomas Morstead, a really nice punting game as well. Three of his four punts landed inside the 20-yard line and stayed there. That's awesome. Irvin Charles, again, he won special teams player of the week on this podcast last week for his forced fumble and nice gunning. He had an even better coverage game. He didn't get the forced fumble. But he had four plays where he made a huge impact gunning. All four punts, he was there. If you watch this game back, you watch Thomas Morstead's punt, look at number 19, Irvin Charles, who was absolutely, honestly, as Justin Hardy looks to be out for maybe four to six weeks. Irvin Charles, I don't know how he is on, like, catching the ball and knowing the schemes the way Justin Hardy's a captain and understands all those different nuances of the special teams unit. But Irvin Charles is playing faster and tackling just as well as Justin Hardy does. So we are in a really good spot there. That's one of those guys that Brandt Boyer is just cultivating that youth. It's two great weeks in the only two games Irvin Charles has ever played. And awesome coverage, man. Keep watching number 19 on those punts. Gibson, no kick returns, no punt returns. All right, so the last order of business, now that we talked about the awesome defense, the incredible special teams, and the more than adequate offense, is to just do a quick AFC check-in. Because the Jets go to 3-3. Three and three. They steal a game, just like I said last week. Like The Jets are going to have to steal a game somewhere against a good team. They stole one right here. I didn't know it was going to come this quick because the 5-0 Eagles were a daunting task. But to come out with that win, go into the bye with this record, they are back in the playoff mix. So now looking at that, as we kind of take a week off and just look at the rest of the landscape of the AFC and who's the competition right now as the playoff picture is starting to, you know, you got 11 games left. So there's so much more football to be played. But you can kind of start to see it taking shape. You look at the division winners right now. If the season ended, would be the Dolphins, the Ravens, the Jags, and the Chiefs. If you look at the wild card at the season ended today, the, the four and two Bills would have the best record, they'd make it. Then the three and two Steelers and the three and two Browns. So obviously you want all those teams to lose. The teams on the bubble, right in the mix. Three and three Colts, three and three Texans, three and three Raiders, three and three Bengals, three and three Jets, and then the Two and three Chargers are still in the mix. But that's a lot of teams right now. We need some guys to lose, some teams to lose. And specifically, you want the AFC to lose to the NFC. And we have a couple opportunities coming up this week. The Raiders are playing the Bears. Raiders may have a backup quarterback. The Bears will have a backup quarterback. That could be a shit show. And if the Raiders lose that game, that would be huge. I don't expect it. But that's one of those games where all of a sudden you knock the Raiders, who are same record as the Jets, right below us. That would be huge. The Browns and the Colts, somebody has to lose, somebody has to win. Either way, we need those teams to, uh, you know, somebody's going to get the loss. So I guess that's a good thing. The Ravens are going to play the Lions. The Lions are a good team. The Ravens are a division winner. That division's kind of still up for grabs right now. A lot of teams still in the mix. So Ravens try to find a way to come up short against the the up-and-coming Lions here. The Dolphins are going to play that Eagles team that's probably pissed off right now from losing to the Jets. They're playing in Philadelphia. And the Dolphins are the best team right now in the AFC other than the Chiefs. They're leading the division of the AFC East. and If they can lose to the Philadelphia Eagles, that would be massive. The Steelers are playing the Rams. That's a game that they could lose. The Jaguars are playing the Saints. That's a game that they could lose. So a lot of opportunities for the NFC to beat the AFC this weekend. We need as many of those to go our way as possible. Let's go NFC. And then Bills versus Patriots. Both are welcome to lose that game. The goal is basically just to, like, leave the weekend next week with the Jets in a slightly better spot maybe than they're in today. Right now they're in, like, ninth spot in the AFC. Let's try to get to maybe eighth or something with the team losing this week. So that's really all I got for this podcast. I know it was a little disjointed, a little sloppy, but you know what? I was just so excited. I'm fired up. I'm drinking whiskey. Eagle Rare. It's been fun. So much fun to, like, be winning meaningful games with the team playing this well, beating good teams. Not just like, yeah, we're beating some crummy teams right now. But every time we play somebody good, we're in a big spotlight, we blow it. It's not the case with this team. It seems like the bigger the stage, the bigger the game, the better the Jets play, which is bizarre. But I'll take it because we got a lot more big-time games coming up this year. The next podcast I'm going to do is going to be on Thursday the 26th. And that's going to be previewing the Giants game the next game. Right, right, we're going to bye this week, so just enjoy it. I'm going to take uh, take the time off. That's really all I got for this one. Jets win 20-14. to 14. The season is back on track. We steal a game against that awesome Philadelphia Eagles team. We feel really good. We get to enjoy it for two weeks. If you like the podcast, rate, review, subscribe. Also follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. And part of the Fans First Sports Network. Until next time, enjoy the bye. I'm Dan Burnham and this is The Jet Life.